0: Well, good morning. Um, You know, I think the reality kind of sets in is how old you're getting. I was talking to a guy before service, before that was in here in the nine o'clock and he was saying that um, his age is really setting in because he went swimming for the first time yesterday and jumped on a diving board and can't walk today (laughs) because his body has not been jarred like that in many years. I'm like, dude, you jumped on a diving board. But anyway... Age set in for me last night when I realized that I am now the father of a teenager. Yeah, yeah. Brock turned 13 yesterday, he is our oldest and and he he paid me $35 to get up here and say that so everybody would recognize that it's his birthday. Y'all know how most times when you go out to eat on somebody's birthday, you try to sneak away and you try to tell the waiter, hey, it's this guy's birthday? That's not Brock. Hey, have y'all told him it's my birthday yet? So then, needless to say, he was very disappointed when they didn't sing. All they did was bring him a bowl of ice cream. And to add insult to injury, they just gave us four spoons to eat with it. So that meant that it wasn't only Brock's. It was all of his siblings, too. So he was a little crushed. Um, But Brock, happy birthday a day late. Um, But no, we're getting ready this morning. You know, for the last, I don't know how long now. We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians, it seems like now, for forever. And we've, we've invited you to be reading along with us. Maybe this is your first time here, but every week we're taking a chapter out of the book of 1 Corinthians and, and we're just walking through it together. And, and I know that a lot of you, if you've been reading, in your reading this week in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you, look, Ben's already back there smiling. You are you've probably never anticipated a message like you have today. Not because you're super spiritual, but you wanna see what I'm gonna say. You want to see how bad I'm going to mess this mess up, right? That's what you want to see. Because we're going to talk about three pretty difficult topics today. You ready? Tongues, prophecy, and women be quiet in church. <laughs> <laughs> see? you know And so I kind of envision you all week as I'm preparing. And you know how I envisioned you this, this day? With your little bucket of popcorn sitting there going... What's he going to say? Y'all, did y'all ever see the meme, the Michael Jackson one where he was picking the, did y'all ever, I don't know if y'all saw that. It it's just in my little sick mind, but that's kind of what I envisioned you today. Just, you don't really care. You're very unspiritual today. You just want to hear how we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians 14, right? So we are, we're going to dive into it this morning, but first, before we dive into it, I, we have to always set the context of what's going on in this chapter. And so I've got a. Some, some kind of childhood story that I want to share with you that'll help us better understand what Paul is dealing with before he has to truly address these three difficult topics. As a child, as, as, a, as, a, as a young boy, I lived back in that time. You remember for a season where you only had one TV in the household? Y'all remember that? Got one amen. So y'all are very young. But with the TV that we had in our house, it was in the living room. And if you remember, it was those TVs that were built into a cabinet, you know, it had wooden frame all the way around it. And it was about, the cabinet was about, it seemed like seven feet long and the TV was about this wide. Y'all remember, and it weighed like 436 pounds and it took a small army to move it. Well, that was us. And I remember every, every afternoon, every Saturday morning, I had a younger brother or still have a younger brother that's three and a half years younger than me. And we would get up every Saturday, we would get home from school every afternoon and guess what we would do? Argue over who was gonna watch TV whose turn it was to watch TV. So we tried to set up all these little things where, okay, I'll watch something for 30 minutes, then you watch for 30 minutes, but it never failed. We always ended up fighting. We always ended up bickering and it caused absolute chaos in our home until daddy got home. We know when daddy got home or daddy woke up, we know who was gonna watch TV now. We just got silent because that TV is daddy's. He paid for it, remember? I'll pay the bill. Y'all know how that goes? So we knew that in the moment of his his awakening or the moment he got home from work, we didn't have to argue about who was gonna watch TV anymore because daddy was calling the shots, okay? So now let's fast forward about 30 years. That really sounds old. Fast forward 30 years. Monday evening, I'm at home, got home late from a meeting here, got home about nine o'clock and you know your brain's kind of fried, so you go in and I got in my recliner and I kicked back and got my control, turned the TV on and found an old classic. Y'all all all know the movie Fugitive? That's Dr. Richard Kimbrell. Y'all know Fugitive, it's a good one. And so I was ready to watch this movie. Now I knew I was only gonna last about four minutes because if you know me, I'm asleep. By the time I get my head back, it's out. So I'm beginning to watch The Fugitive. And then all of a sudden my wife is sitting about two feet to my left in this little chair and she's got her phone out and I can hear some kind of video or something playing on her phone. And then all of a sudden I look down our couch and there's my three oldest that are all lined up with every one of them having their own little phone or their own little device where they're playing a game or they're watching a show, all listening to it as well. And then Deacon crawls up in my lap with her little iPad that is shattered to smithereens. How she even watches it, I have no idea. And I don't know how she don't have glass all over her fingers, but she crawls up in my lap and then she starts watching her cartoon. And so for the next three and a half minutes, the battle was on. Because what I found myself doing was I kept grabbing the control, turning it up a little bit louder, turning it up a little bit louder. Well, guess what Chelsea was doing? Turning it up a little bit louder. Guess what all three of these were doing? Turning it up a little bit louder. Guess what Deacon was doing? Turning it up a little bit louder. And you know what? I got to the point, I said, enough is enough, and daddy spoke. That's me. I'm that guy now. And I literally, I went, turn them down or turn them off. Except you, honey. Except except you. She's actually the first one. I said, can you hear that? I was like, yeah, anyway. But in that moment... I knew that if I didn't control the chaos, that I was gonna go nuts. Because I'm sitting here watching Dr. Richard Kimball, and I'm hearing a cartoon character talk. And I'm so confused, I'm like, is that him? I don't remember this part of the movie. And it was just, it was complete chaos. But what I had to do in that moment was I had to control the chaos. Because everybody was jockeying for position in our living room so that they could hear what they were listening to. Well, essentially, that's what's going on in Corinth in chapter 14. You've got the church gathering together. What we would like to think in our minds would look like this, but it really didn't. But what you've got is a bunch of believers who have been gifted with spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit But what they're doing is they're all fighting for their voice to be heard. They're all wanting everyone to think that they're super spiritual. They're all wanting all of their buddies and their pals to think they've got this whole church thing figured out. So what you've got is a a fight for position. And you've got people that are trying to put on their super spiritual hat. And what's happened is in the church, absolute chaos is taking place. People are speaking out of order. People are trying to speak over one another, but the truth is the reason they're doing this is because they're wanting everyone to edify them and the gifting that God has given them. You know, and I envision the church at Corinth probably looked a lot like my living room did on Monday night. Just absolute chaos where you, you didn't really know what was going on because everything, all the noise, all the, the commotion that was going on, and it was even causing confusion in me. And so we're gonna read in just a moment that that's exactly what was going on there. And so in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what Paul is doing is simply trying to control the chaos. He's trying to calm the church down. He's trying to get everything back into order so that all the glory and edification can be given to whom it was created for anyway, which is God. And so that's what Paul is going to attempt to do here. So he's trying to corral all of the chaos because the reason he's trying to control it all is it has caused so much confusion in the church. It's caused so much confusion in the young believers, even in the non-believers. They didn't really have a clue what was going on because of the chaos. And so then he dives into the three topics of tongues, prophecy, and silencing the women. Now men, look, that is not the time for you to say amen. Okay, please do not say it. Okay, if, 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 woman, if he does, smack him. Okay, smack him. So this is the part where he says, silence the women. Okay, you didn't say amen, so good. You learned Good job. I wasn't going to halt the whole smacking thing. That was going to be fun to watch anyway. But you see, um, we're going to talk about these three things. But here's what I want you to hear in this is, as we address these three topics, we're probably not going to go as deep into these topics as you may want me to. You've got a Bible, you've got the Holy Spirit. Go home and read it for yourself. Work it out for yourself. Because what I don't want us to be guilty of even here in God's house this morning is that we put all of our energy and focus and focusing on all of these spiritual gifts and we forget the one who has given the spiritual gifts to begin with. Because that is the problem at Corinth. They are so focused on the spiritual gifts that they have forgotten and neglected the one who has given the gift to begin with. And we are not gonna be guilty of that here. And so we're not gonna spend a lot of time, probably as much as you wanted, but we are going to be discussing those. So what Corinth has done in reference to 14 is they have, they have labeled or branded the gift of tongues as basically this spiritual supremacy. That, that if, you, if you have this gift, then you are more spiritual than anyone else in the room. And so those that had been given this gift were using their gift as a platform to wear that spiritual hat, wanting everybody to be impressed with the gifts that God had given them. And so that what they're doing is they're beginning to speak over one another. They're trying to get louder and louder and louder because they're trying to impress their buddies. Then we look at the gift of prophecy. Now we have to understand the context of what prophecy is according to this passage is because what we, what we know is they weren't able to to stand and open God's word and say, hey, today, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, okay? This wasn't there yet. And so the Holy Spirit would move in somebody that was given the gift of prophecy's heart, men and women, and then they would stand to proclaim the word of God that God had given them. But they would say it with the authority of God speaking it in and through them. And so this is what was used as the word of God. And so now you've got tongues, you've got prophecy, and they're all fighting for position because they all want to be respected and they all want to be exhorted for their gift that they have. And so we see that their purpose is they're wanting to edify themselves and they're fighting for position. And so the first thing Paul does to control the chaos is he kind of lays out some guidelines for those two gifts. I want you to look at at verses 27 and 28 in chapter 14. And then we're just gonna read through this all the way through 31. But he addresses both tongues and prophecy in these four to five verses. Verse 27, he said, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at most three and each in turn and one must interpret. Verse 28, but if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So then he goes into verse 29 to talk about prophecy. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. Verse 30, but if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep, there's that word again, silent. For you all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and that all may be exhorted. So what we see here is, is like I said it just a moment ago, you've got a lot of believers who are wanting their voice to be heard. And because they want their voice to be heard, they're now attempting to speak over one another. So people are speaking out of turn, people are speaking out of order, people are being very vocal, but what's happening is the wrong heart They're using the very thing that God has given them to edify themselves rather than to edify God himself. And so what you've got believers doing is they're trying to rob God of what is his. They're trying to rob God of his glory. And when we as the church When we as believers, when the believers in Corinth try to rob God of the very thing that's his, when we try to rob God of what is his glory, it creates confusion among everyone. It creates chaos. It creates confusion because the life that we're we're living is not the one that we're preaching, that it's all for the glory of God. But in reality, we're using the very things that God has given us and blessed us with to receive the glory for ourselves. And that doesn't line up with it being all about the glory of God. And so therefore, it creates confusion. And that is why he declares what he does in verse 33. And this is a verse that you've probably read a lot on social media, in your Bible, hopefully over the last several months. Look at what he says in verse 33. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints, So he says, look, I want you to understand this confusion and this chaos that is going on in the church. This is not of God. And he is attempting to control the chaos. But now we read verses 34 and 35. And this is the part where I probably hear the bags of popcorn rustle because 34 and 35 is addressing the women to be quiet. All right, let's look at verse 34 and 35. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject to themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak In church. Let's pray. I was about to dismiss this out of this room. Y'all good with that? Huh? Just read it for yourself when you get home. You can figure it out. So, yeah. He tells women to be silent. Now, what we have to do, again, we've got to make sure that we're applying the context of what Paul is talking about. Remember, he's entered into a chaotic situation. People speaking over one another, people being loud, people wanting themselves to be edified rather than God. So we, we, we picture, we envision that the, the volume is just getting in, is just increasing again and again and again. And then we take that verse 34 and 35 and it appears that he singles women out. It says, women be quiet. But as we just read just a few moments ago in verse 28, He was talking about the gift of tongues. He was talking about people who were using this gift out of order. But what's interesting is who did he tell to be quiet who were using those gifts out of turn? The men. The same word that he told the women to be silent, he's just told the men who were speaking out of order for them to be silent. And then when we look next down at 30 or 29 and 30, he's talking of prophecy and he doesn't declare a gender. He doesn't say male or female, but he says all of those who are speaking with prophecy out of order, be silent. And the reason that he tells all of those, he doesn't say male, he doesn't say female, is because in chapter 11, he's kind of already laid out the, the women speaking in church because he says in chapter 11, it says that when the women pray and when the women prophesy, they are to have a covering over their head. So he's already said they're going to be praying, they're going to be speaking, but they've gotta make sure they're doing it in the right order. And that, that head covering, that was a culture thing. that was a sign of, of submitting to the authority of the Lord, to submitting to the authority of the man in their home. And so what we see here is that Paul has used the same word silent to tell men to be quiet who were speaking out of order. Then he tells the men and the women to be silent. But then he goes to the women and he says, women, be quiet. So we got to ask ourselves the question, what did the women do? Why did he pop off at the women and tell them to be quiet? Now, look, I understand and I hope you all know how, how like study goes on Tuesdays. It's not just me opening the word of God and saying, oh God, please pour it out. Have y'all seen the little, the little book of the little um, Chinese kid that's sitting in his class and he's saying, this is how I'm gonna do school this year and he's doing this? Have y'all seen that? that? That's not how it goes on Tuesdays, okay? I don't just open the Bible and go, please God. There's a lot of men who have a lot smarter than I am. I have a shelf full of commentaries. I have the direction of the Holy Spirit leading me. And so as I began to try to study on what this meant and what all this was about, what I realized is there's a lot of different angles that people come from in this passage, okay? There's a lot of different opinions. There's a lot of different views. And some of those views, for instance, one of those is the reason that he told the women to be quiet is, is what's going on. Remember, it's chaotic, it's loud, it's extreme. And so what's happening, what some scholars believe is that the women in the room are trying to make sense of it all. So they're leaning over to their husband going, what in the world are they saying? What does this mean? What's he saying? What's he talking about? What are they talking about? And so the women asking all of these questions is just adding to the chaos that's already there. And so then he follows it up and says, if you have any questions, if there's anything that you wanna learn, what did he tell them? Wait till you get home and ask him. Wait till you get home and ask the husband what it all means. And I had a guy come after 11 o'clock. And what the Lord spoke to him in that moment. Now, husbands, I want you to listen to this. I got convicted. When you go home today and your wife begins to ask you things of this morning, are we able to answer them? Hmm. That's a little convicting because I don't know that I can answer it all. Because the truth is, is you know kind of what's going on? Is the roles have been reversed and a lot of times, you know the conversation that happens in the home? The man's asking the woman, what's going, what did did that mean? What did this mean? What did that mean? I want you to hear me when I say this. Men, God ordains you to lead the home, to be the spiritual leader in that household. So the question is, when she asks us the question, can we answer it? Have you spent time with the Lord? Are you spending time in the word of God, learning what his word is about, that we are able and prepared to lead and to guide our families in the way that God has, wants us to and expects us to? That's a side note, sorry. But as these women begin to ask all of these questions, some scholars also believe that a lot of these questions led to arguments. And led to even more division in the church of all the bickering and the arguing and and just the frustration that was going on. But then there are some scholars that believe that that the wife, maybe she was given a gift of, of, of prayer and prophecy and she began to speak over her husband. She began to speak louder than he was. And so what this was doing is this was not allowing the man or the head of the household to, leave the, to lead the family the way God had ordained it. And he says, women, at that time, the man is even questioning his role because it appears that you're leading. So while we see that there's a lot of different angles that people interpret this, this passage of Scripture, here's where I want you to hear my heart in this today. Exactly what I talked about a minute ago. These three topics that we're talking about has caused more chaos, if you would, in the big C church than any other topics. And what breaks my heart is this has destroyed, this has separated, this has brought division in the big C church because we can't all agree on everything that this book says because we have different, depending on how we were raised is how we believe, truthfully, But church, here's what we've got to understand. At the end of the day, this that we're talking about is a secondary issue. And right now, in the chaos of our world, our church, the Big C Church, doesn't have time to bring division and focus on all of these secondary issues. We've got a lost world who is dying and going to hell in the middle of chaos, and we can't be worrying about all these secondary things. We, as the Big C Church, have got to turn back to the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and understand that he willingly came to earth, wrapped himself in human flesh, was crucified on a cross, was declared dead, was placed in a tomb, and was resurrected for you and me and for an entire lost world. And when we understand that that's what the focus of the message is gonna be about, then the church sees revival. Not a Baptist, not a Pentecostal, not a Lutheran, not a Presbyterian, but we've gotta get back to making it about Jesus. We don't have time to make it about all of this other stuff. And it's heartbreaking that the enemy has used the very word of God to divide the Big C church. Because there's a lot of us out there that we're just like Corinth. We want our opinions to be known, we want our thoughts to be heard. But the bottom line is, is Jesus Christ is the only thing that's going to bring control to the chaos. And more than ever, we've got to be focused on the name of Christ. We don't have time to be divided over these things. And so now I want you to turn your attention to, this is kind of, y'all see how really backwards I am. Chapter 14, verse 1. This is where the heart of today comes from and this is kind of where we're gonna land today. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse one. Paul has just concluded chapter 13, which we all know is the love chapter. But in chapter 14, verse one, Paul commands, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Paul says in this very short little segment of this this verse, he said, it's okay to desire gifts, but I command you as the church, I command you as believers to pursue love. To pursue love. Let everything else take care of itself. And you say, well, Brian, what what, what does that really mean, pursue love? Flip over to 1 John chapter four. 1 John chapter four. It's made pretty clear. My pages are all sticking together. 1 John chapter four, verse seven. Beloved, talking to the believers, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. For God is love. So what Paul commands to the church at Corinth is to pursue God, to chase after God who God is. And you know, the, the, the heartbreaking part for me in this is, this is something that you would think that Corinth would understand. You would think that Corinth would understand that it's all about God. But the truth is, is they really didn't. Because they didn't understand that their number one commandment, their number one priority should be that of a follower of Christ to pursue. And and if you read the King James Version, it says follow after, meaning then pursue swiftly to chase after until something is obtained. What would it look like as we at the church, if we quit worrying about all of these secondary issues and we quit trying to worry about making our voices be heard and the church got back to the end of the day where all we did was chased swiftly with the purpose of obtaining a relationship with an almighty God, then everything has changed. Everything has changed. And so what Paul has had to do is you've got the chaos of tongues, you've got the chaos of prophecy, you've got the women who are adding to the chaos and notice that he tells them all, everyone who is contributing to the chaos, be quiet. Be quiet. It's time to make it about Christ. In church, that's what I wish we could shout from the rooftops this morning to this lost world is be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. But you see, what Corinth has done is the very same thing that we are guilty of. Paul very plainly says, pursue love, yet desire the gifts. You see, that word desire is a verb there and it's talking about having a zeal to have an enthusiasm to have a a, have a high emotion and because of all that they've seen with these spiritual gifts their emotions are being driven by what they want by what they desire by what they have an excitement about and their excitement is about a spiritual gift Their excitement, their enthusiasm is about so they can receive the praise and the honor and the glory that we've already said was rightfully God's. So where they've missed it is they've missed it all at verse one. They're letting their desires, they're letting their emotions drive their pursuit. But instead, he's calling the church, we've got to allow our pursuit to drive our desires. And so at the end of the day, Paul is saying, look, you've got to pursue love. You've got to pursue God before anything else. Because you see, as a follower of Christ, the, the more we're chasing after the things of God, the more he molds and shapes our desires into his so the, closely, the more closely we follow after him, the more intimate we are with him. Remember, he's molding, molding us into the image of his son. So the closer we are walking with our Savior... The more we're going to look like him, the more we're going to talk like him. And as we walk with him hand in hand, guess what happens? Supernaturally, the Holy Spirit transforms our desires and our transforms and shows us the spiritual gifts that he's given us. Not because it's something we want to edify ourselves, because it's the way that God has equipped us to make his name famous. But we discover that by walking with him, not by watching everyone else. So pretty much chapter 14 in a nutshell is he's reminding Corinth, you gotta pursue God more than you do anything else and let the pursuit of God drive your desires. And now, um, I know up to this point what's been so amazing to me and amazing to a lot of you because you share testimony to it is, you know, since... COVID hit, since the chaos has broke out in our world. It's like every week we open this word. we we've, we've said it so many times that I can't believe that God met us right where we're at again. And so I know that you're looking at chapter 14 and you're probably going, well, how did God really meet us where we're at now? Because you know, why are we talking about tongues and prophecy and women being quiet? How how is that applicable to where? We are. The reason that it's applicable is because of the principle of what Paul's wanting them to understand. You see, what's happened in the chaos of this world, and I think we can all agree, as Brandon said, that I don't believe there's anyone in this room that has ever experienced our world in so much turmoil, our country in so much turmoil as we are right now. But the reason that there is so much chaos, the reason that there is so much confusion is because you have a bunch of people, ourselves included, that are just like Corinth and they're wanting their voice to be heard. They're wanting to state their own opinions. They're wanting to state this, they're wanting to state that. And, and what's happening is everybody is trying to speak over one another because somebody's deemed their opinion more important than somebody else's opinion. And what's happening is everybody just continues to raise the chaos because everyone is getting louder and louder and louder. And the chaos is continuing to grow because we all want a platform. We all want a platform, and as long as that is our heart's desire, the chaos is going to continue. But truth be known, we're just like Corinth. We're letting our desires drive our pursuit. You know, we all have a desire right now. We want answers. We want answers. The first answer is when's this going to end? When's our world going to be healed? When is COVID-19 going to disappear? And look, we've even got our opinions about that. But we all have a desire. We all have an enthusiasm. We all have an energy to begin searching out for these answers. But can I tell you that we're all turning to the wrong place for those answers? Because it's not on Fox News. It's not on CNN. And it sure ain't on Facebook. And because we get on and we're searching for all of these answers in those lenses, guess what happens to the chaos? It grows. And guess what happens to the confusion? It grows. And as the confusion grows, we begin to play off our emotions because some of us, the chaos and commotion and confusion, it brings fear. To some of us, it brings uncertainty. To some of us, it brings depression and it brings anxiety. But the problem is, church, is we've allowed our emotions to get the best of us. And our emotions are driving our pursuit. You know, we all desire answers. And right now you can, we're arguing about everything. Everything. We are arguing about everything. Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Do I go to school? Do I not go to school? Do we come to church? Do we not go to church? And you know what we're doing? The same thing I'm guilty of. What are they going to tell me today? I'm going to base my decision Of what the TV says. And it's absolutely, absolutely creating chaos and confusion. But I'm here to tell you what Paul said in verse 33 The God who I serve is not the God. Of confusion. And when we can look at all of the confusion that's going on in our world right now, I hope we look at that and we recognize who the enemy is. Because if it's creating confusion, guess who it's not? It's not God. And because we're confused, do you know why we're confused? is because the enemy is louder than he's ever been. The enemy knows why every human in this earth was was created. And do you know what that is? It's to bring glory to God. Every creation, every person that was created was to bring glory to God. But what the enemy is trying to do is he's trying to turn the very creation of God against one another. And we're getting caught up in all that emotion, we're getting caught up and it's creating anger, it's creating fear. But what we've got to get back to the place is understanding. We've got to recognize who the enemy is. Our enemy is not our neighbor. Our enemy is not someone who, who has a different impersonation or impersonation. That is completely the wrong word. Interpretation of the scripture. That's not the enemy. The enemy is, the enemy is the devil. It's Satan. And we've got to recognize that. We're not at each other. But we've all got to unite under the one command that Paul gave. And it's to pursue love. And you say, okay, Brian, well... It all sounds good, but how, how do we, how do we even attempt to do that? How do we, as believers, attempt to pursue love and quit letting our emotions drive us? I want you to flip right quick, and this is where we're going to wrap up the morning. Second Chronicles chapter seven, and this is another verse that you've probably seen a lot over the last couple of months. But 2nd Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, we read My people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. pretty clear how we as believers, how we as the church are going to lead our way out of this. Did you hear what I said there? How we are going to lead the way out of this. The church has got to quit being a puppet to our society. The church has got to quit being a puppet to the news. The way we're going to lead ourselves out of this is exactly what we just read. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to pray. We're going to seek the Lord. And we're going to turn from our wicked ways. Because the beauty in that is when we humble, when we pray, when we seek, and when we turn, guess what God said He'll do? He will hear, He will forgive, and He will heal. But church, you know what? I don't understand a lot of times. I don't know, not understand. I don't know that we as a church believe that. I don't know that we as a church, and look, I'm speaking to myself included. I don't know that we as the church believe as long as we will humble ourselves, as long as we will turn from our wicked ways, as long as we will seek the Lord, as long as we will pray, then he will hear us, he will forgive us, and he will heal us. Because if we believed that, guess what we would be doing? Humbling ourselves, praying, seeking, and turning. And so here's what God has laid on my heart. With all of the conviction that I have in me, the church is going to have to leave. And we've read right there how we lead. And so you may ask, well, Brian, what is what is Chestnut Mountain's role in this lead? Are you ready for some earth-shattering news? What we're gonna do as a church body, and I know it ain't proper English. But we going pray. We're gonna pray. And here's what the Holy Spirit has led me to do. I've talked with the team and the staff and I don't know what it looks like. I have no idea what it looks like. But this coming Wednesday night, the church doors are gonna be open at 6.30. And we're going to start praying at 6.30. There's not going to be an agenda. There's not going to be lights. There's not going to be cameras. Sorry, Stevie. He said, you always throw the lights under the bus. But we'll turn the air on, maybe. No, we will. But we're going to gather together as a body of believers. We'll probably read the scriptures, but then we're just simply going to pray. And here's what I know. The Holy Spirit's led me to do this. He's led me to mention this to you, to tell you this, that this is what we're going to do. But here's what I also know. If I'm the only one here at 6.30 on Wednesday afternoon, guess what I want to do? I'm gonna do the only thing I know to do, and I'm gonna pray. I would invite you to join me. church, this is the only way we're going to lead our way out of this. You know, I was on the way home and if you know me, you know, I overthink things a lot. I I analyze things a lot and I was trying to be so super spiritual that, you know, we always preach and teach that it's not about inside the four walls of Chestnut Mountain, that it's not about this name. It's not about this brand, which I, that is our statement. That is who we are. It's not about making our church name famous. And so I began to think about that and I thought, you know, where, where can we meet? Because I don't want it to appear that we're just trying to gather people together in this building to pray. So I was thinking, man, we'll, we'll go to downtown Oakwood or we can go to the parking and ride or we can meet at some restaurant. I don't know what that looks like. And the Holy Spirit spoke and he said, if you're gonna pray, invite people to pray, you invite them to your house and guess what? This is our house. God's called Chestnut Mountain Church, our home. So this is where we're gonna start praying. But now hear me when I say this. You don't have to be a part of the family of Chestnut Mountain Church to participate. This is about bringing the big C Church together. This is about bringing all denominations together This is about bringing a body of believers together who we're simply gonna humble ourselves before the Lord. We're gonna pray, we're gonna seek his face and we're gonna turn from our wicked ways. And we're gonna do it with the intention and believing that he is going to hear us, that he is going to forgive us and that he is going to heal us. And so I just wanna ask you to be a part of it. That's that simple. But, you know, maybe it starts this morning. Maybe it starts right now in this moment this morning. As we get ready, I want you to stand to your feet. And maybe you need to start out praying right now. Maybe you need to start by repenting. That's usually a very good place to start because my list usually is a mile long about the time I start. But, church, let's just get back to where we're making and about a pursuit of him. Let the pursuit of him drive our desires. God, I pray this morning that God, that as you're moving and as you're speaking in this room, Lord, I just pray that we would be obedient to it. God, I'm so thankful for the for the elderly man that stopped me in the lobby after the first service with tears rolling down his face. And he simply said, I come in here this morning pulling a train of baggage. And to see the tears rolling down his face, and he says, but If you're okay with it, I'm gonna bring that baggage with me on Wednesday night and I'm gonna be here to pray. So God, I pray that we would understand that we don't have to be at some spiritual level to be here to fall on our face and beg for you to move. But God, even let it start now. And we ask all of this in your name.